Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider Podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Alan Baratz, CEO of D-Wave. D-Wave entered into a $1.3 billion combination agreement with DPCM Capital in February. It has developed quantum computing machines that are already powering cloud-based applications to solve real-world problems today. We talk about the new directions those applications could go and how this technology will scale in the near term. We also speak with DPCM Capital Chairman and CEO Emil Michael about how his background as an executive at Uber and Clout drew him to D-Wave and the possibilities he sees for the partnership moving forward. Take a listen. And so, Alan, you're perhaps somewhat unique as a CEO who came up through the research side of D-Wave, and, so, and you have a long career in computer science before as well. So I'm just curious, you know, early on in your career and in your studies, was quantum computing something that really seemed achievable in the near term? I must tell you that I was not at all focused on quantum computing until maybe six years ago. So um, the role that uh, I had previously that's maybe most relevant to what we're doing now at D-Wave was as the first president of JavaSoft at Sun Microsystems, where I was responsible for bringing that technology to market, growing the revenue, building the developer ecosystem. A lot of what we did there is similar to what we're doing now at D-Wave as we're basically creating a new industry and a new ecosystem and commercializing quantum computing. So I actually first got interested in quantum shortly after I was engaged by a recruiter about potentially uh, joining D-Wave to run R&D. Started looking into it. I realized that D-Wave was quite far along with respect to its ability to actually bring quantum computers to the marketplace and commercialization and the ability to run valuable applications on quantum computers was something that uh, really uh, intrigued me and got me quite interested in the space. And, uh, you know, after multiple rounds of interviews, I was offered an opportunity to join the company running R&D, which I did. And then two years ago, I took over as the CEO of the company. Great. And so I guess in the simplest terms, where is D-Wave's technology now? So D-Wave was the first and actually still is the only commercial quantum computing company. We have over two dozen Forbes Global 2000 customers that are working on real business applications in support of their business operations. So while everybody else in the industry talks about government funding to basically help them build their systems, and they call that government funding revenue, uh, and they talk about national labs and uh, academic institutions as their customers. Uh, we actually talk about real applications like employee scheduling or autonomous vehicle routing or manufacturing plant floor optimization or portfolio optimization. And we talk about customers like Volkswagen or BBVA or Keisha Bank or Lockheed Martin. And so we really are commercial today and well ahead of anybody else in the quantum industry. And for Emil, DPCM initially listed in October 2020, and the SPAC market has been a wild ride since then. When did quantum computing initially come on your radar, and how much did the other SPAC transactions in the space impact your thinking? Well, quantum computing came on our radar, we'd say Q4 of 21, when I was introduced to Alan by a guy named Steve Jerviston, who was on Alan's board for, for a long time. And is also well recognized for being on Tesla's board and on SpaceX's board. And he was really sort of a forward thinking futurist, if you will. And uh, he had high confidence in D-Wave because of 
Allen really having taken the reins two years earlier and really taking what was a great technology with an enormous amount of IP and then commercializing it. And so when I looked at the quantum industry generally, I saw that this company had was far ahead of the others in terms of its ability to commercialize, to actually build a business and solve real business problems today. And since those other companies were, were doing quite well, depending on the week or month, um, you look at the, the stock market, I thought this one was, you know, being far ahead and the best, in my opinion, was, was really a good, a good bet and proven out so far to be an exciting relationship that I built with Alan and the team. And how difficult is it to evaluate companies in the sector, given that the technology is just so new? It's, you know, the two, the two things I, would, I did to do that were, or a few things, not just two, were one, what is their intellectual property? Like, how, have they developed a moat with the intellectual property? And it turns out that in this, in this segment... D-Wave, having been around for as long as they have, has an enormous IP portfolio, which is an asset unto its own. The second criteria was, was management. Is this management oriented toward, toward R&D or is this management team oriented toward taking R&D and then commercializing it and getting it sold and making it a real business? And when you look at those two things, that's again why D-Wave rose to the top for me. And I think that'll prove out over time as, as the market develops. Now the market's so big that there's room for lots of players. It's just a matter of who's going to get to commercialization first, start solving real world problems and start taking bigger and bigger chunks of that opportunity and making it real. Yeah. And I, I don't want to put words in Emil's mouth, but shortly after I uh, took over, as the CEO of D-Wave, uh, we really started focusing on go-to-market. And this was everything from having a real product development cycle that was uh, predictable and repeatable so that we could deliver product on an ongoing basis as promised to the market, uh, as well as building out a go-to-market organization that included both sales and professional services so that we could help our customers understand how to use our technology, how to build those applications, and how to move them into, into production. And frankly, we're the only quantum computing company that has actually established product market fit for our technology. And we've done that in industries like manufacturing and logistics, uh, finance, and pharma. Yeah, I mean, I would say that shows out too, as well, just having reviewed all these companies and in that it does seem like IonQ and Rigetti are perhaps a little more focused on trying to get as many quivets going as possible on a single machine. But could you just talk a little bit about how the sort of some of the specifics of that rollout and how your approach has been a little bit different than theirs? So first of all, let me say that at the end of the day, it's not about number of qubits, it's about applications. I mean, I, I learned this at Sun Microsystems when I was running JavaSoft. A technology platform is of no value if you do not have applications running on it. It's applications that customers buy, not the underlying technology. And so the real focus for us in the more recent term has really been on that customer engagement and developing applications and moving them into production and, and making them referenceable because that's really where the value is. Now, as far as bringing the technology to market, it's honestly both hardware and software because qubits are fine, but you need the ability to 
you know, bring that technology into the hands of customers in ways that they can use it. This is tools that make it easy to develop applications on the processor, as well as hybrid technologies that allow you to combine classical with quantum to be able to get more, frankly, out of the quantum systems. So it's both the hardware, the quantum computers, as well as the software, the hybrid solvers and the tools, and then the ability to get that to customers. In our view, the right way is through a quantum cloud service, and we've developed that as well. So you know, we have our quantum computers, we have our hybrid solvers, we have our software development tools, and we have our Leap quantum cloud service that gives real-time access to our quantum computers uh, for all of our customers. Great. And you've already touched upon a few examples, but could you just get into one thing as has been mentioned in terms of where you guys are on the commercialization? I think it's important for all these kind of companies with technology of this stage to, to really emphasize like you are a revenue generating company and, uh, and you have customers really working with this stuff right now. What, what are some of those uh, use cases? So we worked with a uh, grocery chain on, believe it or not, employee scheduling. In the height of the pandemic, uh, they found that the additional constraints and requirements being placed on them was uh, making it much more challenging to schedule their employees. In fact, it was taking them up to 25 hours per location per week to do the scheduling. Leveraging our quantum computer, they're now able to do the scheduling in less than two minutes per location per week. They've actually now moved on to a second application, which is a last mile routing problem for e-commerce grocery delivery. Another example is Volkswagen. Volkswagen has used our system to schedule the painting of their vehicles. The idea is in any given day, they want to schedule the painting of the vehicles to minimize paint changes. Because every time there's a paint change, they introduce delay and they introduce waste. Uh, and what they found is that by using our quantum computer, they're able to come up with schedules for the painting of the vehicles that allows them to paint up to five times more vehicles per paint change over the schedules that they had been uh, creating using their internal algorithms and systems. And then I'll give you maybe just one more example, BBVA, European Bank. What they were looking at was how to optimize portfolio returns within a given risk profile. And they had a number of different data sets that they were working with. And what they found was that on the largest of the data sets, there were only two systems that could come up with a solution. One was Tensor Networks from Google, which is classical, and it took up to 32 hours to compute the solution. The other was our quantum computer, and they were able to compute the solution in less than three minutes, 171 seconds. So there's a couple of examples from a few different industries to give you a sense of the kinds of applications that uh, our customers are, are using our systems to improve today. And that total market you see yourself as being able to attack is vast at 850 billion over the long term. And basically any industry that needs to do some complex computing is a potential client. So could you give some examples of maybe what are some of the highly common applications for quantum computing and like what are maybe some more obscure ones? Yeah, first of all, let me spend a minute talking about what comprises that $850 billion. So the number that you mentioned comes from uh, Boston Consulting Group. Uh, they did their own evaluation of the industry and they 
put the uh, total addressable market at you know 450 to 850 billion in the roughly uh, 20 year time frame. But BCG also divided that market into four technology areas. The first was combinatorial optimization. So these are problems like employee scheduling or how to pack containers on ships or rail cars or autonomous vehicle routing. The second area was linear algebra. This is really machine learning. The third area, factorization, this is crypto. And the fourth area, solving differential equations, this is things like quantum chemistry and computational fluid dynamics. So BCG divided the total addressable market into those four technology areas. And they said roughly a quarter of the market is in each of those four areas. Okay, well, here's what's quite interesting and, and relatively new news. Um, there are two primary approaches to quantum computing. There's what's called annealing, and what's called gate model. Uh, D-Wave is the only company in the world that does annealing. Everybody else does gate model. But what we learned around the middle of last year is that the gate model systems cannot deliver a speed up on optimization, that optimization portion of the BCG TAM. It's really annealing that you need to be able to attack that portion of the total addressable market. And since only D-Wave does annealing, that means that that portion of the market is accessible to D-Wave only. Now, annealing cannot do everything. For example, annealing cannot solve differential equations. So our annealing quantum computers cannot attack quantum chemistry and computational fluid dynamics portion of the TAM. You need a gate model system to be able to address that. For that reason, we announced about four months ago that we are now also building a gate model system. So we will continue to enhance our annealing quantum computers to always be able to solve larger and more complex problems faster and address that optimization portion of the market. But now we'll also be delivering gate model systems so that we can address the full set of use cases for our customers and the full total addressable market. Can you just explain that a bit more? Because you mentioned this in your materials as well, that the market is made up of annealing and those gate model applications for quantum computing machines. Can you just explain a bit about those distinctions and how those uses are different? So this has to do with how annealing systems work versus how gate model systems work. So annealing systems are native optimization engines. They are designed to solve a very specific mathematical problem. And it turns out that all optimization problems can be reformulated as that problem. So any optimization problem can be reformulated as the problem that annealing quantum computers can solve. And then the annealing quantum computers use quantum mechanical effects like superposition, entanglement, tunneling to solve that problem very quickly. So they're native optimizers and they use quantum mechanical effects to solve those optimization problems. Gate model systems are different. They're programmed a bit more like classical systems where you have to specify the sequence of instructions needed to solve the problem, although those instructions are called gates in the gate model system. However, what we learned around the middle of last year was that those gate model systems require classical compute overhead to get them to solve optimization problems. And we now know that the amount of classical compute they require 
far outweighs any of the benefits of the underlying quantum computer in solving those optimization problems. But that's not true when we get to differential equations. A gate model quantum computers are quite good, natively good at solving differential equations. And as a result, being able to pursue things like quantum chemistry applications for development of new, new materials and new drugs. Great. And moving over to the, the business side of things, I, I see in your materials that a decent percentage of D-Wave's projected 2022 revenue is already booked. And so what can you tell us about how uh, those contracts, how they work with clients, and how do you expect them to scale? Our business model has two components to it. We have a cloud-based recurring revenue platform as a service model. So our customers basically have applications that require quantum compute cycles, and they pay us on a recurring basis to access those quantum compute cycles through our LEAP cloud service. We also have a professional services component where they essentially pay us to help them kind of build out and deploy their applications. Currently about half of our revenue is recurring platform as a service and half of it is professional services. But you know, as we look out over the five-year timeframe, we rapidly get to uh, the point where well north of 90% is that recurring revenue which is pretty straightforward because the, the professional services engagements are relatively short upfront engagements. But once those applications move into production, they run year after year after year and just continue to generate recurring revenue for us. So what you are seeing this year in 2022 is that the work we did last year with customers on helping them build applications and get them into production and generate recurring revenue has now become backlog that we will be able to recognize in part this year and in future years. So as a result, uh, this year we entered the year with about 40% of our targeted revenue in backlog uh, and another 5% in contracts entered into in previous years that will come up for renewal this year. So about 45% of our revenue for this year, 2022 is, if you like, in the bag. And, and on the transaction side of things, Alan, you mentioned that you kind of you got the, you know, hit the ground running in terms of go to market as soon as you moved up to CEO. But part of this is also is taking the company to market. And so just how did you go about deciding this is kind of a question for both of you, honestly, is just uh, how did you decide on your end that, that you wanted to go the SPAC route rather than private raises or an IPO? And, and for Emil, when you kind of first saw D-Wave, like what was the big thing that stood out to you that uh, that it was ready? We evaluated a number of different options, frankly, beginning about a year and a half ago with respect to what the best path forward would be for us with respect to ensuring that the company has the resources that it needs to, to grow and execute properly. As we were starting to think through that, frankly, we saw another quantum computing company announce that they were going to go public through a SPAC. And so we started watching that very closely to get a sense for whether that was going to be a successful path or not. But it was clear at that point that it was at least one of the options that we should consider. And then, you know, as the months went by and we saw that that approach was turning out to be quite an effective approach for that company, and then a second quantum company announced that they were going down the, uh, that path, we became more and more convinced that that was a very viable path for quantum computing and that it could be very effective in initially raising funds that we could use to help fund our ongoing growth, as well as becoming a public company and giving us ongoing access to funds 
that we could use to continue our growth as time went on. And so we just ended up concluding that this was the best and right path for us at this point in time. Yeah, for us, uh, when I thought, when you think about what kind of companies can take advantage of sort of the unique advantages that a SPAC transaction provides over a direct listing or an IPO, it's that you can share a lot more about the company, about where it's going in the future. And when you're talking about a technology where you have to heavily, heavily invest in it before you can get the first drop of revenue, um, you've got to be able to show when that revenue can come. And you've got to be able to also talk about some of the customers and the use cases in a way and at a level of detail to have people or investors understand it. So I do think there's some uniqueness in why all three of these quantum companies have gone this back route because it allows all of us to talk about the future in a way you couldn't in other, in other transaction types. So this is still very much not a cheap technology to develop. Alan, could you describe a bit how you'll be using the proceeds from this deal and, and when things are expected to switch into profitability? So it, it's not a cheap technology to develop, but it's actually a very capital efficient business in the sense that it costs us well less than $2 million to build a quantum computer, but each of them can generate 25 to 30 million of revenue per year. And we currently have three quantum computers in our cloud service. Shortly, we will have a fourth, which means our current quantum cloud service uh, can support, you know, more than 75 million of yearly revenue soon, more than 100 million of yearly revenue. So it's not like capital constrained and we need to keep building systems and putting them into the cloud for customer access. But the R&D that underlies those systems for each new generation of quantum computer, both annealing and now gate model, that does require uh, resources. And so we are planning to use about a quarter of the funds raised to accelerate our go-to-market activities. That's both direct sales and professional services, as well as our channel of uh, reseller partners, partners like Accenture or Deloitte or AWS. And so a quarter goes into really building out, accelerating the build out of go-to-market. About half of it will go into the R&D program. And up until now, we've been building just the annealing quantum computer, but now we are extending our R&D program to include gate model as well. And so, you know, we're going to need the resources to be able to support that uh, dual product family. Although, interestingly, of the half that goes into the R&D program, half of that is actually shared between annealing and gate. That has to do with our superconducting chip fabrication process, which is kind of the heart of our quantum computers. And the work that we do there will directly apply to both the annealing and the gate model system. So there's some synergy that we get by, uh, by doing both at the same time. And then the rest of it will be used for combination of GNA, public company expenses, as well as uh, buffer cushion. And what benefits do you also see D-Wave receiving in terms of the DPCM team's expertise, as well as the involvement of the pipe investors? Yeah, so I'm thrilled with the opportunity to uh, work with Emil and, uh, and his entire team at DPCM. This is a group of individuals that have deep operating experience. I mean, you know, Emil may not 
toot his own horn, but I can a little bit. He, he was the number two person at Uber. Uh, he built that into a very successful company. He has great industry and customer relationships. And I'm really looking forward to working with him as we close this transaction and continue to build out a D-Wave. And the rest of his team similarly has deep operational experience as well as uh, contacts and relationships that will be very helpful to the company. So, you know, I think this is an ideal, an ideal match for us. And we're really looking forward to getting this transaction closed and working together. The thing I'd add is I know a lot of these specs are formed by financial engineers or former bankers and uh, people who've been in the finance industry. We specifically took our SPAC management team and board and said, we want to surround ourselves with op operators and futurists and people who are in the, in the game. That includes Peter Diamandis, who, you know, is a famous name and a futurist himself, uh, Singularity University, Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google. So really big, long-term thinkers and who've been operators so that, so that we can partner with a company and not just worry about sort of the day-to-day -day movements, but more think about the multi-year growth plan for a company of this caliber. Yeah, that was something I definitely wanted to toss to you too, Neil, just in terms of, you know, looking at your board, it look, it's like a long list of, of people that I'm sure look at at the possibilities of D-Wave and to see a million potential applications flood across their face. I mean, wh what were some of the conversations you were having with them on as you're going through the process? It's evident that Eric Schmidt sort of talks about quantum a lot and he talks about the need for quantum. Uh, when he was at Google and since he's left, Peter Diamandis, same thing. Um, you know, they think about, I'm just going to give you an example, like Peter is big on the longevity in life. And so how do you do pharmaceuticals and use compute to uh, computing power that only quantum could provide to find new formulas for medicines that can keep people alive for longer or heal faster and those sorts of things. And so those are the kinds of things when they take their specific do domains and they say, wow, quantum can do this. And that's why I think they got excited about uh, about the the target we chose and the partnership we chose with D-Wave. When I started, started first thinking about quantum and D-Wave, I started thinking about Uber and optimizing routes. Where, where do you go to pick up the people? Where are cars gonna go so that they're the most efficient uh, ride for anyone? And we would do this sort of at re with regular computers. So it would take a long time, <laughs> you know, it was hard. And then we'd literally put on a driver's map in 20 minutes, we think you could go here. It, wasn't, it was barely real time to do surge and stuff. So thinking about how to optimize all that against traffic, against weather, against who wants what kind of car is actually a great idea. And same thing with food delivery, because food delivery is all about batching orders so that one driver could do multiple orders along the same route. Those kinds of optimization problems, I think, are, are in the future for, for annealing as well. Right. And also on, on the transaction side, this deal will provide a bonus pool of shares for non-redeeming shareholders. And so, Emil, could you just explain a bit how that works for DPCM shareholders? Yeah. So we, we're pretty cognizant and realistic about what's happening in the SPAC, SPAC and pipe markets today. Dramatically different than, than the way the world was a year, year and a half ago. Um, so to get out in front of that, we put together what's called a tontine structure, which is the formal name for a set of bonus shares, 5 million bonus shares in this case, against 30 million shares that are in a SPAC because we raised $300 million. And those 5 million shares are split between those shareholders who do not redeem their shares. If a small number of people redeem, then everyone who didn't redeem splits that 5 million shares pro rata. If a lot of people redeem, well, they actually 
uh, gets split amongst a smaller number of people and the effective number of shares they get goes up and therefore they could blend cost, cost average their price down. And that the reason for that is to give people a reason to stay invested in the company in a world where, you know, investors are not spending enough time on the fundamentals of the companies that are de-stacking. So we're trying to get them to do that. So we're, you know, Alan and I are going to be on the road. Analyst day is we're meeting as many people as we can so that we can make sure people take a fundamental view of this. That combined with the right financial incentives, hopefully will make for a successful de-spack. Yeah, great. And could you just provide a, a quick update in terms of what the, the timeline is for that, that process? I don't, I don't want to step out of school here, but I, I believe, you know, when you submit uh, our S4 to the SEC, we did that a few weeks ago, which means if you kind of you take the average time that the SEC spends with uh, that work and sort of edits that you have to make along the way, you're talking about a, you know, probably early July or July timeframe for a DSPAC. Just to provide a little more detail, we we submitted our S4 on March 15th. Uh, we're actually expecting first round of comments later this week, early next week. And then you know, we'll go through that iteration process with the SEC. Emil alluded to this, but we're holding our analyst day on May 12th, where we'll be you know, inviting in buy side and sell side analysts to learn more about D-Wave. And then our goal is to get the transaction closed in early July. And Alan, what would you say is the next big exciting thing beyond quantum computing? Assuming that this all rules out as planned, is there something at a theoretical stage that could take this even further? Uh, look, we still have a long ways to go with quantum computing. So, you know, I think there are going to be ongoing amazing advances with respect to quantum computing, both on the annealing side as well as on the gate model side that will generate excitement for many years to come. So I'm not thinking beyond quantum. I'm thinking about how we drive quantum to its full potential. That's the right answer, Alan. <laughs> Great. Well, it's something we're excited about as well. Certainly, there's so many possibilities there. It, it's one of those things covering SPACs specifically that it's fun to see SPACs being involved as being the vehicle that is propelling forward this really unique technology. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on it, certainly, and, and can't wait to see how it all rolls out. But thanks so much, both uh, Emil and Alan, for being on. Thank you, Nick and Marlena. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it was great to meet you. Thanks for the time, uh, Marlene. It was a great, uh, great time. And thanks for having us on your show.